Welcome to Let's Talk Link Building. I'm your host, Aaron Anderson with LinkPitch.io, and today's guest is Amanda Milligan from Stacker Studio. Amanda has a lot of background with content syndication, and it was interesting to dive into her perception of content syndication and whether those links matter or what kind of value they're able to deliver, and also because she has access to see what content tends to get picked up the most to syndicated networks, we could see what content does the best and performs the best in regards to PR pitching and whatnot. So super interesting interview. Uh, I learned a lot and let's dive right in. All right. I'm here with uh, Amanda Milligan today. Amanda, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Aaron. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So to start us off, I always like to hear uh, of your background and what led you into this world of SEO link building. So uh, give you some background. Sure. I think a lot of people uh, can relate to kind of falling into this industry accidentally, but I graduated with degrees in journalism and English around the time of Penguin and Panda. So I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew like, I like writing. I just don't want to be a reporter. And companies were mass hiring writers coming out of school because they suddenly realized they can't just continue producing crap and get away with it anymore. So I ended up working at a content marketing agency right out of college and have pretty much been in the industry ever since. I started writing the actual content that we were selling to clients. And God, back then it was so, (laughs) I did the best I could, but man, the standards were pretty low. Uh, I was cranking out multiple articles a day. It was ridiculous. And over the years, I've done a variety of things from, you know, writing the content, managing our relationship with clients. Now, as we talked pre-show, I am more on the marketing side, marketing these companies that I work for. But along the way, link building became what accidentally one of the core focuses because the companies I worked for really strives to help people earn links through the content that we were creating. So that's kind of how I, my doorway was through co- it was content that got me into this area. Okay, so you started in content and building content. And then at some point, you started getting introduced to this idea, like we're building content, now we need to get links to this content. Yes, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where you look at all the different ways that content can be valuable to you. And that was the one that I think people struggle with the most is creating content that's going to earn links or, or, or like getting links in general, I think is one of the hardest things for SEOs because it's really hard to scale and it's usually pretty manual. Sure. Yeah. I often tell people it's like they come to me with their sites and they say, we have great content. I say, you might think you have great content, but content that builds links is not necessarily the content that people like your average reader might want to read. It's content for other websites (laughs) and the people that are going to link. That's who the content is for. Yeah, it really is. I mean, just like any piece of content you create, you have to know your specific objective for it. Otherwise, it's going to be, it's not going to hit the mark in the way that you want it to. And yeah, link earning content is no exception. Yeah, for sure. So in your current role, you, you do link building campaigns or what exactly are you currently, uh, what's your area sure. of focus? So, so prior to this, I worked at an agency for seven years called Fractal and I did all kinds of stuff over there. But primarily, even when I was managing client accounts, it was 
for link building. Like people, companies hired them to create, they would create like data journalism campaigns and pitch them. There was like a digital PR team that would manually pitch all these publishers, right? To see if they wanted to cover the content. So I did all kinds of stuff over there. And then I ended up marketing the agency. And now I work for Stacker Studio, who hired me to kind of get the word out about our offering because, well, so while I'm not personally doing the link building, I'm marketing the service that we provide that is a link earning solution, essentially. So the, the thing that makes this current company different is it started as like Stackard. If you go to stackard.com, you'll see that it's news stories. So it started as a newsroom and a newswire back in 2018. And a few years into it, they realized brands would love to get involved with this because they had built a distribution network of news sites all over the country. And I think they're at like, we're at 3,300 plus news sites that are in our network and they give the stories away for free. So think of like the AP or Reuters, those types of newswires, except that we're, we, our stories are free. You don't have to pay to access them. So brands hire Stacker Studio to create content on their behalf and distribute it through our newswire. But it's the first time in my personal career that I've seen link earning scale successfully with this method because it's always so manual. Like when you go the content route, you're trying to build these relationships. If you're trying to, you're going to the digital PR right, I should say. There's other ways to, you alluded to link earning content that you can just create and earn links that way. But if you're doing the digital PR route, it can get very time consuming. So the fact that we just like have a built-in network was very, when they said that to me, I was like, oh, wow, you just removed the digital PR aspect from this. That sounds great because that's like the biggest question mark all the time, right? And that's the thing that's like demoralizing sure. sometimes when you send all these pitch emails out and then wait <laughs> to see if you get a response. It's uh, It can be hard. It can be hard. I feel for anyone listening sure. who's a digital PR, I know how tough it can be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious because you know, content syndication in the past has been associated with a lot of like low quality link building approaches used to have the press yes. release mass distribution stuff or the the link, uh, the article distribution things that are all very low quality. So you say you kind of have this big, you know, distribution and it sounds like if you get like a, a content built by Stacker and posted on their site that that gets distributed out to all these other sites. Now are all these are they syndicating the exact same content? And how? what's the links look like? Are the links all no follow? Are they all, because they're, they're all syndicated links. I mean, I guess, what's your opinion? Are syndicated links different? What's the value of you know, getting a ton of links from a bunch of sites that it's all this, essentially the same yeah. article? Then can you just dive it a bit into all that? All fantastic questions that we get a lot. And it's actually been <laughs> a fun part of my job because so much in this industry there's a lot of like preconceived notions about things because of how it's normally done. So anytime I say syndication or distribution, like people, red flags go up because we're used to, I won't say names, but like other, you know, services where they serve their purpose a lot of the time, but it's not, the purpose isn't usually getting good links. So people are kind of used to that. And I have to kind of backtrack and say, well, technically like, we're doing that, but in a completely different way. So 
the types of, like, they're real news sites. Like, we're not, it's not just like any old blog. Like, we have SFGate, Chicago Tribune, Miami Herald, Houston Chronicle, like, legitimate news organizations like Tribune and McClatchy. So it's not just any old site, right? Although we do give access to our content to anybody who wants it. But uh, the links, because they are choosing to pick up these stories, the links are follow links, and the canonical is built in. So that's like actually a key piece of all of this, is and why I think that there is value to syndication links, this type of syndication links, though. So I'm not going to make a, a sweeping statement, but I started to phrase things as either paid syndication or earned syndication. So a lot of these other sites or these other companies, when they send out, they say they're going to syndicate your content. If they're paying for these sites to run your content, that's a completely different ballgame because it's probably going to be tagged as sponsored. It's probably not going to be a follow link, you know, those sorts of SEO benefits that people are looking to get. So if you're doing it for PR, that's cool. But if you're doing it for SEO, probably not the best thing on the planet. So the way that we go about it is we're not paying these sites to run your stories. They are electing to. So when they do, they are running the story as is. To answer your other question, it is the exact same version of the story, although it is becoming more common for people to remix it the way that they'd like to. So if a publisher wants some of the story, not all of it, or they want to rework it a little bit, they can do that. But usually they rerun, they run the story as is, and it includes a follow link and the canonical that points back to the client's site, saying that they were the ones who wrote it first, and then you know it went through our network. So it's not that I believe that all syndicated links are great, but earned syndicated links, which is kind of a newer thing, I think can be extremely effective. Sure. So that was interesting. You said the canonical actually points to the client instead of pointing to the original article. So technically the article on the client site is the original and then we syndicate it through Stacker. Ah, yeah. So it's a kind of a slightly I complicated see. model. Yeah. Cause we're, we're creating it on their behalf. So, you know, Experian works with us, for example. So if we write an article for Experian, it goes on their site and then we syndicate it through our site and then it goes out to our network. So the canonical points back to their site as the creator. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction because if all these sites are canonicaling back to my site, it's like there's an established relationship of trust to where you think they, like, why would they all canonical back to my site? Like they have to at least trust me as an original author instead. Because normally you have like, if you get a, an article on a big site, you know, then that that gets spread out to their network, but it's all canonical back to the, the original article, which is on you know msn.com or right. whatever it is. But in this way, it's a little different. That's, that's interesting. It really, I had never heard of this model when they approached me and I found it fascinating for the same reasons like that you're asking these questions. Like I had a million questions. I was like, wait a second, like how is this possible? And it really is just goes back to like the bigger topic of like, it fit me really well because my background's in content. And it fundamentally goes back to the content has to be good. And they started as a newsroom. So their stories they knew had to be accurate, newsworthy, you know, objective. Uh, the, the kind of core tenets of like what publishers want to see and having that background really fit extremely well with transitioning into this as a piece of our overall business. But uh, 
It has been fascinating. Because we're a newswire, we have access to all the data of what stories are getting picked up the most. So for the first time in my career, I can see, oh my God, like these are the like the types of stories, these are the topics that are doing really well on the network. I actually, we can talk about this if you want to go this route, but I was just putting a report together about the stuff that's performing the best because not only does that help us internally, right? Like we're able to get a sense of literally what do these publishers want? Cause that's the whole point of Stacker is to enable or support publishers around North America. But I can share it with other marketers because all of us kind of want to know what makes newsworthy content and what are publishers looking for. So that's been really cool, too. Like, it's been a good bridge for me, having worked on some of like the digital PR side to have direct access to this really cool information of like, what are they syndicating from us? Like, we just we know now, rather than it being like a black box. Well, and I'm not fully familiar of how most syndication networks work, but you know, from my experience of doing like Hero link building, you get a, a link on a certain site and generally you see the same link on, on various other sites. It seems like there's a relationship, like anything that gets posted on this site also gets posted on these other sites. I don't know if that's how it works or if it's also like they're choosing whether or not to run these articles. Do you know much about how it normally works? And in your case, it sounds like they always choose, like nothing is automatically run. They're, they're de- evaluating the content and then deciding to publish it or not based on the merit, essentially. For right? a lot of it, yes. But we had built enough trust with some publishers that were in their CMS, like being auto-published at this point. But they're still deciding okay. to do that. You know, like we didn't pay them to do that. They're just like, sure. yeah, we trust Stacker content. Run it all, <laughs> you know. But a lot of the times, even if it's in their CMS, they can choose what they want to run. Or you could literally go to stacker.com and republish anything on there. There's like a republish, you know, you could just decide to republish it. So there's multiple ways people access our stuff. But to your question, I know exactly what you're talking about from like my older, you know, link building days, which is like some, there are just some networks that syndicate like MSN, Yahoo, like you get it there. And then like a million other sites, all levels of quality, pick it up. Right. And that's, that's fine. And like totally natural. That's why I never, even like our stuff, random sites might syndicate from the sites that are directly picking it up from us. And, you know, clients might be like, who the hell is this? Like, what is this new site with like a domain rating of 10 or whatever? And it's like, we didn't actively seek them out, but that's just the way that it works on the internet, right? Like you're going to have kind of a natural distribution of people picking stuff up, but there definitely are. And I think that individuals who try to do a strategy like this, are looking to tap into some of those networks, the the bigger ones, to see like, okay, if I publish here, it might syndicate out to like 10 other sites. You're not really sure where they're going to actually end up linking to. They might, like you said, canonical back. They're going to canonical back to the the original, not not your version, but the publisher version. But you'll probably still get links out of it. And that's why people try to tap into that. So that is a strategy. Others like NerdWallet have built up their own strategy for that, right? Like they just formed these connections with other major publishers and made good content that people wanted to run. So it's like, you can go about it in either way. I think it's smart to try to tap into these other syndication networks, but they're hard to find. It's not always easy. If anything, I would suggest people, depending on your niche, take a look at where you're reading, like wherever you're actually consuming news and look, pay more attention to where they're getting syndicated from. You know, like an MSN, it's just yeah. all syndicate. You, you look and you're like, oh, all of this, nearly all of this is pulled from other sources. 
you can see like, oh, what type of networks are doing syndicated content. But if you're wherever you're consuming your news, like who are they syndicating? And, you know, check them out, see where else maybe are picking up their stories or put that headline in Google and see where else picked it up and maybe start to chip away at unveiling what some of these syndication networks might be. But all syndication networks are just like, like they're based on trust. Whoever decides to syndicate, you know, Yahoo stuff is because they trust that Yahoo's content is going to get them readership, right? That, that it's engaging enough. So it, it's all like super fascinating. And I'm, I'm just starting to learn like the entire landscape of it all because we didn't, personally, I didn't dive too much into it until this job. But uh, the way that we go about it's still, still different enough that I'm not even entirely sure how some other people have tackled it. Sure. So one question that still remains for me is, I guess, the quality of the backlinks. What's the actual quality? You're getting links from a ton of different sites, but it's all syndicated content. What is actually the value? I mean, I I would consider this is probably less than if you built a unique backlink on, you know, 300 websites in a different way is probably greater than 300 backlinks with one article that are all syndicated out. But can you kind of speak a little bit to the value you're seeing from these link link building? Yes, completely valid question. So one of the things when Stacker did approach me, one of the things that I basically had similar questions and our internal SEO was actually a client of theirs who went in-house because he was so interested in, in, in this topic as well, because what he was finding as a client was it's the authority signal that comes from the canonical from a very respected news site pointing back to you, which is really not at all talked about in the SEO industry. Like the impact of canonicals from respected sites, because it's not that common. And I think that's maybe why there has been a lot of research into it. But he started to suspect that it wasn't even the links themselves. It was actually the canonicals that were driving the authority signals because I mean, if Chicago Tribune is choosing to republish in full something that you wrote, that's saying something about the quality of your content. And that's what the canonical signaling, right? So a lot of this is, frankly, kind of new for the industry to wrap its head around because we all kind of know, okay, follow links are great. No follow links still carry value. You know, like brand mentions are good. You know, people can debate how impactful all these different things are, but like there's a general understanding. So when we were assessing how our work was doing for clients, we were seeing that the canonicals and the follow links, it's actually been, to be honest, difficult to parse out which one of those two things is the more substantial because we get both every time. But I think I like to kind of zoom out on it and think, what is it about this that would signal authority to an algorithm? And to me, if a respected site is choosing to republish something that you wrote, that in and of itself is saying something pretty significant about what you're doing. Similar as like a follow link would. I think canonical is just a different way of going about it. To your point, that doesn't mean that three, if you pitch 300 people and you got 300 great follow links without canonicals, I'm sure that would kill as well. I'm sure that would be fantastic. (laughs) But the reason why people might go the stacker route is because of scaling. So sometimes the best way to do it is like, if you go like the stacker route, you're like, okay, we get like 150 to 200 pickups a story on average. So, and we, we only work with people long-term. So, you know, people don't come to us for like one story. We're like, no, you want to, if you're doing this, you're doing this 
you're investing in the strategy of earned media and content. But sometimes they do their own link building as well on more niche sites or, you know, like highly relevant or, you know, with their own content to supplement what we're doing. But it operates as this like very sturdy foundation of ongoing authority that's built. And then people can kind of customize it in a way, however they see fit. Like if you're doing the Harrow request and you want to build authority for a specific person at your company and you want it to be more branded, because what we do is not like, we're not getting your company's thought leadership out there. It's more top of the funnel, right? Like when you go to content yeah. marketing, digital PR, it's always top of the funnel. So like people supplement yeah. it with, all right, we want links from sites in our industry. We want more content out there about yeah. our company. So, you know, there's so many factors and ways that people can put the, like a link earning program together. But I think that ours kind of gives people a peace of mind that, okay, we're getting a ton of authority signals on a monthly basis. We don't have to be scrambling to, to, to build good links in order to sustain our place in, in the sure. SERPs. Yes. And and it sounds like it's a, like a lot of these PR, a lot of the, the backlinks are to the homepage. It, it builds a nice foundation. But yeah, if you want to get into more like we need links to a specific page or these kind of things, you, you obviously have to have to do. Yes, that's a great point. Strategies. I actually I, I can send this to you after, but I did a, a post for Moz about creating like a link earning stack because I agree with you. I think that not all link building is equal in terms of what you're trying to achieve. You're like, you're absolutely right. You know, if you're trying to build a link to a page, that's not what digital PR is for. No, no new site's going to link to your category (laughs) or page, right? So you're absolutely (laughs) right. I don't think you can really go at it with one method entirely to encapsulate like everything you can do with earning links. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I have a pretty good understanding now. It, it sounds really interesting. It is something different that I, ha- I hadn't heard about. But I did want to dive into what you mentioned before is that because you can see, you know, it sounds like there's a range uh, and sometimes you get more publications picking up your content than, than other times. So you can get a sense on what type of content is doing the best at any given moment. Uh, are there any certain trends or, or things that you could share with us to give us an idea of what type of content is the most interesting in this kind of news landscape absolutely you will be pretty much the first one i'm telling this to (laughs) i put in my (laughs) newsletter last week but uh, i haven't released it yet so i have it pulled up here let's take a look here so i basically all i did was i took the top 500 stories from last year so the the 500 stories that got syndicated the most in 2022 from the stacker newswire and i manually went through this list and like tagged them with different topics and, and different types of content one of the things that we've known for a while that showed up here yet again is that superlative content does really well. So if you think about this entire era that we're in of listicles, right? What that got such a bad rap because so many of them were terrible. What Stacker did was make more, they took the database approach to lists and saw that people still love that kind of content. It's just better if there's actual credibility behind the listicle and not just like, 10 cool things to do, or, you know, whatever, like just object, uh, subjective, sure. but any sort of superlative type of content continues to do extremely well in our network. So that's, that doesn't just have to be best to worst, you know, but like any sort of categorization using data to make determinations about them and then talking about the best or the worst or anywhere in between 
does really well. So an example of that I have in here is like we did a piece on the airlines with the most delays, which my God, recently over the holidays that became super relevant, but you know, people are going to want to know, they're going to click on that just to find out which one's had the most. If it's their favorite airline, it's the airline, the airline they hate the most. So they want vindication coupled with that though. And this is where I think the opportunity is, is localization in addition to superlatives. So one thing that we're able to do and test out a lot is we have a local product where we take the same story. So we write a national version of the story. So an example is 10 of the most expensive states to live in. Okay, so we use data. We, we picked out the 10 most expensive states to live. That's the national version of the story. That's the national title. We send that out. But then you can take that same story and change the headline to be about the specific state. So you could say, I don't have the list in front of me, but, you know, I mean, D.C. is expensive. So let's say D.C. is the most expensive place in the country to live in. Then you send that headline to all of the D.C. area publishers specifically. You can send California as the second most expensive state to live in to the California publishers. That seems like a very minor tweak, but it is very effective and scaling up the placements you get for the same information. You can change the headline, then you probably get, you change the intro. Like you got to change the way that you talk about the story. But yeah. I don't think people take advantage of that enough. So we often say, if you're doing this for the first time, the easiest way to do it, quote unquote easiest, is to use data that has geographic information in it. Because if you can localize and have database content, the pitching becomes... You just have so many more opportunities. So I think that's the major combo there. Like superlatives with the, you know, based on data plus localizing it does extremely well for us. Otherwise, I was surprised by this, but explainers still do well for us. I think this is tougher for brands that haven't established a lot of authority. Like if people don't trust your brand yet, I wouldn't start with explainers because you really have to build a name for yourself or a publisher to take that seriously. But if you do have some credibility, it's good to start with like some kind of a, a timely stat that is newsworthy and then build an explainer off of that. You see that a lot with Vox and other sites that have really killed in that in that regard, but I think it still can be open to brands. But of the things that I found, like localization, I think is the one that people can really leverage more. And additionally, like, I'm looking in terms of topics. That's the other thing I looked at. I wanted to see like what topic areas perform the best and entertainment by far still, even, you know, on on these national and local news publications, entertainment stories, whether it's about books, movies, TV shows, uh, still does really well. And I say that to people and they're like, okay, but I don't work in media. Like I don't, I'm not in a fun brand. (laughs) I work in like, auto insurance or whatever it is but there are still ways to find crossovers a lot of the time like we did how for a real estate client we did like how much real estate tv stars make right so that's still a a database piece like tangentially related to real estate but crossing over with entertainment so when you're able to bridge that gap and do your industry plus another popular industry that tends to do well so th- that's like some of like the top level stuff that we saw in those top 500 stories. But for y'all listening, I would say think about localization. 
to me, that's the most underutilized. Yeah, I used to have a, a client that uh, had all that, that they would have these, they think the livability scores and stuff where you could analyze data on like a neighborhood or state basis and, and whatever. And they would get so many naturally earned links. And it's all this type of, you know, these top 10 lists or like the data because, and then you get like the local government saying, oh, we're the top one or we're the worst or like right. whatever. And yeah, there is a lot of interest around anything that's local, like it's locally relevant to people. And they, especially a lot of these, these governments and things, they look for information about them because no one's that <laughs> talks about them that often exactly. or whatever. And so when they do like, oh, but, look you at know, this. <laughs> and that's a great point. And something that I mentioned sometimes too, which is like, don't forget about local publishers. They are still highly respected in their areas and have good domain ratings. Just because it's not read nationally does not mean that that's not a great target for for your content. That's yeah. enough. I mean, who? How many people are pitching like, you know, small publishers in Missouri? Like, probably not a lot of people. So that's another major consideration. But you're you're 100 right. Like, it's not like they're getting a ton of localized content pitches. It's not. You know, it's just not yeah. common. And there might even be an opportunity to just monitor what types of campaigns work on the national level and then say, oh, that worked well. So I'm just going to steal that and then apply it in a, like a more localized basis to get this similar A hundred percent. You know, it's funny you say that because, like I said, my degree was in journalism and that's literally what I would do in my reporting <laughs> class. Like you would look at national uh, yeah. news <laughs> and then like I remember the first A I got in that class was because there was a study that came out about doodling being good for your attention like you know people always assume if you're just kind of doodling and not paying attention that you know you're not absorbing any information but the studies show that it actually can really help you with re information retention and i called like neuroscientists on campus and interviewed them about the story and that's literally it was just localizing a national story it was taking some like a some kind of trend and saying well what do people here who are experts have to say about this and is it true a hundred percent can apply to brands and content marketing <laughs> it is localization if if you look at newsworthy elements or if you've never done this google news values you'll see literally what journalists consider to be newsworthy like there's lists and one of them one of the major ones is proximity so is it happening near you you inherently care more about what's happening down the street than you do about, you know, on the other side of the world. So I think a lot can be gleaned yeah. from learning the news values as well. Well, great. This has been uh, super interesting, just learning more kind of about, uh, you know, how, how the sonication with, with Stacker works and, and also just getting more insight into kind of like if you wanted to do PR angles, what types of angles really, really tend to work well. So that it just even just the superlatives it just gave me like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, I guess that's kind of known, but just having it kind of packaged in that way is like, oh yeah, that's kind of a nice way to think about it. So it's, it gets, yeah, I started already brainstorming some ideas for current clients. Like, oh, that, that might well, be Well, that's perfect. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to follow you or connect with you or, or whatnot, is there, you know, what's the best way to reach out to you or, or get in touch? Sure. So studio.stacker.com is where you can learn more about everything I kind of talked about today, but for me personally, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm currently on Twitter. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, uh, Melanda, M-I-L-L-A-N-D-A. But also you can just shoot me an email because as you can see, I can talk forever and I'm happy to answer any specific questions. So my email is amilligan at stacker.com. 
All right, uh, Amanda, thanks so much for your time. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Aaron. This was really fun.